All right, let's turn to Luke chapter 3. We're doing Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20 this morning. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. We're going to meet John the Baptist this morning. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that our ways are known to you, that nothing, that no trial comes to us apart from your plan, beyond your plan, beyond your hand. We thank you that our ways are known to you. We thank you, God, that you are gracious and kind to us. And we, um, we thank you that you, um, by your spirit, you teach us um, as, we, as we gather around your word. And so we pray that you will do that um, this morning as we look at this passage. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so when you look at the world around you, what do you see? I'm not, I'm not asking, I don't want anybody to answer that because it could be a long, depressing conversation. But when we, when we look at the world around us, what do we see? Are we seeing things correctly? John the Baptist, this story, these 20 verses here are going to help us to see the world um, correctly. I, I um, played pickup basketball when I was growing up, and um, then I got old enough to be on the high school team for my um, Christian school, and one of the things my coach told me over and over and over and over and over and over again, and it made me the phenomenal basketball player I am now, is um, he said, don't dribble with your head down. Don't dribble with your head down. You don't need to dribble with your head down. Look up. Look, look, look. See the court. See the court. See all of your teammates. See your opponents. Know, you know, generally where the basketball hoop is. Um, the ball is round. You bounce it down. It's going to bounce back up. You don't need to watch it. Just dribble with your head up. Don't look down. Dribble with your head up. You've got to be able to see things correctly. My children, um, when we tell them uh, to go clean their room, and then they come back like 14 milliseconds later, and you're just like, maybe, maybe they cleaned it. Probably not. We, and you go into the room, and did you, did you look at the room before or during or after you, you uh, supposedly cleaned it? Did you, did, I cleaned my room. Did you, though? Because did you look around? Did you see it? you got to see things correctly. And then we point out all the things we see that, that somehow they don't see. Um, it's always a fun conversation. We have to see things correctly. If you're going to be a basketball player, if you're going to clean your room, you've got to see things correctly. And of course, as we get older, our eyesight goes. It's not as good as it used to be. The nice thing about the things we have to see in this passage, the things we have to see, if we're going to follow Jesus courageously, joyfully, faithfully, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to see these things correctly. The nice thing, it has nothing to do with um, how our physical eyes are doing. It's all about the work that God's Spirit does in us as we gather around His Word. We need God's Spirit. We need God's Word. So we have four things that God wants us to see correctly. As we're going to follow Jesus, we have to have these four things. We have to see them correctly. So that's the sermon this morning. The first thing, number one, we must see history correctly. If we're going to follow Jesus faithfully, joyfully, courageously, we must see history correctly. 
verses 1 through 6 of Luke chapter 3 say, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Atyria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. I love the way Luke writes history. Luke is making a point for us. This morning, he's, he's making a point. And Luke is gonna write history the way no other historian writes it. Because if you were to, if you were to open up Luke chapter 3, and you're just a, you're just thinking, I'm, I'm reading a regular history book, right? Just reading a regular history book, you open that up, and you start reading, you think it's gonna be about these guys. You think it's gonna be about Tiberius, he's the emperor. You think it's gonna be about Pilate, he's the governor. Herod is the tetrarch. Caiaphas is the high priest. These are the guys. These are the history makers. These are the ones who are important. These are the guys who matter. That's what you think Luke is going to talk about. Anybody else writing a history book about these, about this particular time period in this particular region would say, this is the stuff that matters. What Tiberius does. What Pilate does. What Herod does. What Caiaphas does. These are the guys. That's not what Luke is even talking about here. That's not the real story. That's not the real story. Luke doesn't care. He's just kind of giving us a timeline. He's saying this is this is who was in, you know, this is who had political power during this time. Just so you know kind of when the real stuff happened. He's giving you these other names so that you have a timeline for when the real stuff happened. What's the real stuff? The word of God came to John the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That's the history story that matters. If we're going to see history correctly, we, have to, we, we, we can't get caught up in who the emperor is, who the political leaders are, who the, who the high-powered, um, high-powered religious leaders are, who the movers and shakers in the, in the kingdom are. We, don't, we, don't, we, we can't get caught up in that. The guys who are on the front page of the paper, we can't get caught up in that. We have to see what the Word of God is doing. The Word of God came to John, who's a nobody. The son of Zechariah, another nobody. Out in the wilderness, nowhere. Luke's saying, this is where it's at. This is, this is where it's at. Verse 3, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the books of the words of Isaiah the prophet. 700 years earlier, Isaiah, Isaiah, God inspires Isaiah to say, it's coming, it's happening. God is going to bring, God himself is going to bring salvation to his people. It's, it's going to happen. And when it happens, there's going to be a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Verse 5, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the, and the rough places shall become level ways. Verse 6, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is what matters. This is history. This is the history that matters. If we're going to see history correctly, we have to say, what is God doing? What is God doing? God has said, God has said through Isaiah, 
Seven centuries earlier, God has said through Isaiah, salvation is coming, and when it comes, there's going to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. And that voice is going to be used by me to prepare the way of the Lord, to make the path straight. He's going to, he's going to smooth out everything so that, so that when the Messiah comes in, when the Messiah comes in, brings salvation, brings the kingdom, His way, his way will be prepared. People will be ready. People will be ready for salvation. This is what God is doing. Please listen carefully. Please listen carefully. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to see history correctly. Luke is pointing out something to us. He's saying, history is not about the emperor or the governor or or the tetrarch or the high priest. It's not about the people that, that everybody thinks are influential. It's not about the people who everybody thinks matter. It's about God keeping His Word, saving His people through the Gospel of His Son. We've, we've, um, maybe you haven't. Maybe you've been living under a, a rock. Um, and, uh, but if you haven't been living under a rock, then you, you may have been paying attention. We've been paying attention to the events that have been happening in our nation the last couple of weeks. Um, been some interesting things going on. What we have to understand is that that's, that's, the, that's the stuff of Tiberius. That's the stuff of Pilate. That's the stuff of, of Caiaphas and Herod. That's the stuff that doesn't matter. When, when we've been there 10,000 years, okay, you go, you go 10,048 years from right now. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, the events of the last couple of weeks are going to be a blip on the radar. They're going to be a, a footnote in the history books. But, but last week, things that actually matter, they happened too. Southeast Asia, there's a group of missionaries. Brilliant. Brilliant people. And they went and they spent time for four years with an unreached people group in Southeast Asia. The, the, the code name for this people, I don't even know what the real name of this people group was, but it's just called the D people, according to this data, database of, of unreached people groups. Unreached people groups. And there was this, there's this group of missionaries that went and they spent four years with them. They learned their language. They learned their culture. And, and, and after years, they got the Word of God translated into this previously unreached people group. And so there's pictures online from last week of these people, this, 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 this group in Southeast Asia hearing the Word of God in their own language for the first time. When we've been there 10,000 years, that's the stuff that matters. That's the stuff that matters. Kingdoms rise and fall. Emperors come and go. God's Word. God saving His people through His Son. That's what matters. Let's see history correctly. It'll help us as we joyfully, courageously, faithfully follow Jesus. It'll help us if we see history correctly. We've got to. Number two, number two we must see our sinfulness correctly. Starting in verse 7, <laughs> John, the, John the Baptist, um, he's, all about, uh, he's all about just kind of uh, telling the truth. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. And we know from the other Gospels, he's speaking specifically to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What are you even doing out here? Why are you here? Do you even know why you're here? He says, verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist had one sermon, and he preached it really, really well. We read back in verse 3 that John came preaching a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so, if the people are going to be ready for the kingdom of God, if they're going to be ready for the Christ, if they're going to be ready for the salvation that God Himself is bringing to them, then they have to, they have to turn from their sin. They have to understand how sinful they were before God. John the Baptist is saying, yes, this is great. It's, it's great because salvation is coming. But what you have to understand that because salvation is coming, what also is coming is, is judgment for those who, who don't want to be saved. Judgment for those who won't humble themselves before God. God is bringing salvation, but that also means He is bringing judgment on those who will not humble themselves before Him. You have to see that you are sinful. You have to understand that you have much to be ashamed of. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they're not thinking that way. And John knows they're not thinking that way. They're, they're thinking, we're, we're sons of Abraham. We're good Israelites. We're good to go. They're coming out to be baptized just so that they have another kind of notch on their belt. They have another thing. Yep, see, we're pretty good. We, we did the thing that good, good Israelites are doing. They, they just want to kind of add to their good resume. Rather than seeing themselves as someone who needs mercy, someone who needs to turn from their sin, they just, they, they just kind of want to pad their stats. They just want to look good. John says, no. No, you brood of vipers. Which is probably, because he's going to kind of compare that with being sons of Abraham, he's, he's probably actually calling them sons of snakes. Sons of the devil. What are you even doing out here? Do you even know what this is about? You can't just get baptized and add it to your religious resume. Well, I did another good thing. No, he says, if, if, if God wanted just more sons of Abraham, if He wanted just you know, people with pedigrees, He could turn rocks into sons of Abraham. Have you humbled yourself before God? John says, do you understand that you personally are a sinner who needs the mercy of God. You're never going to be ready for Jesus unless you understand that. So some of the crowd get it. Verse 10, they understand. And the crowds ask Him, what then shall we do? They, they, want, they, they want those fruits of repentance, right? They, they, want, they say, we, we want to turn away from our sin. We want, the, we, we want the mercy of God. We want to hate our sin. We want to turn our back on it. What does that look like? What do we do? Verse 10, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? Verse 11, and he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Stop cheating people. Stop it. Stop overcharging people and pocketing it. People don't like that. It's wrong. Don't do it. Soldiers also asked him, Verse 14, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. 
Be content with your wages. So soldiers would they would bully people. They were they were stronger. They had the they had the the the, the might of the Roman Empire behind them. They could they, they they could if they wanted to they could squeeze money out of anybody. They could they could intimidate people. And 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 John says, don't do that. You get paid enough. Don't be taking money from other people. It's a wonderful question. What does it look like? To, to turn my back on sin. What does it look like? And, and John could have said a bunch of things here, and, and maybe in other, you know, other contexts he did, but what he said here was, if you've humbled yourself before God, the point here, if, if, if you have seen that you need the kindness of God, you are in desperate need of His kindness, if you've got that, if that's become real to you, then you will be kind to others. You'll share in the ways you are able. Tax collectors won't cheat people. Soldiers won't bully people. You'll be content and generous and kind. And by the way, these are good fruits of, of repentance in our own lives right now. What a, what a wonderful way to show we are thankful for God's mercy to us. Has God been kind to you? And do you understand that you need God's mercy? You need to hate your sin. The, the, the problem is not out there. The, the problem is within you. You need to hurt your sin. It's not your spouse's fault. It's not your family's fault. It's not your neighbor's fault. It's not anybody's fault out there. You are, are responsible for your sin. I am responsible for my sin. I need to hate my sin. I need the mercy of God. If that becomes real to us, His kindness, then we will be kind to others. We have to see our sin correctly. Now that's not enough. We have to go to number three as well. That's not enough just to repent. Repentance, the baptism of John, the repentance he preached, that's not enough. We have to go to number three as well. We have to see salvation correctly. Verse 15. As the people were in expectation, they were getting excited. Right? They were getting excited. And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. Is the Messiah here? Is, it, is John the Messiah? Verse 16, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in His hand to clear His threshing floor and to gather the wheat into His barn, but the chaff He will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, He preached good news to the people. John wants them to understand, no, 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 I am not the Messiah. No, I cannot save you. My baptism is simply here to, to point to His baptism. My, my preaching of repentance and my baptism is just here to get you to understand what you need. To help you to understand you need Jesus. I am here just to pave the way. I can't save anybody. My, my baptism is just pointing forward. But He, Jesus, when He comes, the One who is mightier than I, the One who can actually save, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now that's a um, that is a a 
debated, contested verse. There's a lot of people who have written a lot of stuff about what John meant when he said he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I thankfully can put your minds at ease and tell you what it actually means. Alright? So, I'm just going to clear this up. You don't even need to, don't even Google it. I got it. Alright? No, I'm just kidding. But if you, if you are interested in how I got to this, you can, you can email me and I will set you straight. Alright, so, um, no, I'm just kidding. But we can talk about it if you have questions. But what I, what I firmly believe, and it's, it's based on the context of what he says ex- right after this, so what I firmly believe John is saying is that, is that Jesus is going to, uh, when he says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, Jesus is talking about the two different responses that, Je- that people make to Jesus. There, there are going to be some people who, by God's grace, get it. They, they, see, they see, oh my word, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I, I, I'm guilty before God. I need, to, I need to turn my back on my sin, and I need to turn to Jesus. I need Jesus. If I'm going to be forgiven of my sin, I need what Jesus did on the cross to save me from my sin. I, I have no hope without Him. Some people are going to, they're going to get it by God's grace, and they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, which means um, the, the Spirit of God is going to live within them. He is going to seal them until the day of redemption. He is going to teach them as they study God's Word. He's going to convict them. He's going to comfort them. He's going to grow them in holiness. He, he's going, God, Jesus is going to give His Spirit to us, and we see that in the book of Acts. He gives His Spirit to, to His people. It's a beautiful thing. It's salvation. It's wonderful. But there is a flip side to this as well. Some people are are going to reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they will just feel the fire of punishment. The fire of judgment. And that's why I believe he he goes right into, in verse 17... He explains. So, so some people are going to are going to receive the Holy Spirit of God. They're going to trust in Jesus and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit of God. He's going to make them new. It's going to be beautiful. And the Holy Spirit is going to, going to keep them until, until they reach heaven. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And then you have, though, verse 17, the, the flip side. The people who reject. Jesus' winnowing fork is in His hand. Verse 17 says, to clear his threshing floor. And it's beautiful for those who he gathers. He gathers the wheat into the barn. We're going to be with him forever. It's a beautiful thing. But the chaff, the chaff, he will, he will, he will burn with unquenchable fire. And verse 18 is an interesting verse, isn't it? So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. We have to see salvation correctly. We have to understand that what John was saying was good news. It was, it was wonderful salvation for those who believe. It was horrific judgment for those who refuse. And Luke is calling this good news. Because we, we tend to think of good news when you get good news. It's just kind of, it's kind of easy to, it's, it's, it's just super easy to get your mind around. It's not scary at all. It's just everybody loves it. It's just super inclusive. It's just good news. Everybody's kind of smiling. It's great. Sunshine and roses. The good news of salvation, though, isn't always easy. 
if we're going to see salvation correctly, and if we're going to preach salvation correctly, if we're going to preach the good news the way God has written it, we have to understand that the good news is only good if you believe it. It's only good for you if you believe it. The good news is you can be in the eternal kingdom of God. You don't have to be among those who are excluded, who are on the outside. You don't have to be those who, who, are, who are thrown into the unquenchable fire. You don't have to be among those. You can be, by God's grace, in the eternal kingdom of God. The good news is good because it's true. Because it's true. If we soften, weaken, we water down the news of salvation because we're afraid of offending people, we are damning them. Jesus says to those who would do that, to those who would preach good news that doesn't point people to hope only in Jesus Christ, Jesus says you are making those people twice a child of hell as yourself. Jesus doesn't hold back. Good news is only good if it's true. We have to see salvation correctly. We have to see it correctly. And we have to proclaim it correctly. So we have to see history correctly. We have to see sin correctly. And we have to see salvation correctly. And then finally, we have to see, we must see success correctly. We must see success correctly. What is success? How do, we, how do we succeed in this world? What, what does that look like? We see it here in verse 19 and 20. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him, by John, for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done. So John, so John you know, preached repentance to the, just the regular people. He preached it to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who showed up. And he preached it to people like Herod. You need to repent of your sin. Here's what you've done. It's wrong. Don't do it anymore. Stop. Turn. Turn from your sin. Repent before God. Herod didn't love that message. Herod didn't receive that as good news. That didn't feel like good news to Herod. It felt offensive. It was good news, though. It was. It was how Herod could have been saved. He just didn't want it. His wife didn't want it. Who used to be his brother's wife. It's a long story. It's not pretty. And for all the other thing, evil things that Herod had done, verse 20, added this to them all and he locked up John in prison. This is success. John lived his best life. He did it. He obeyed God. He preached the Word faithfully. He pointed out that you've got to repent. He warned people. You've got to humble yourself before God. You've got to hate your sin. You've got to look to God for mercy. You have to find salvation in Jesus Christ alone. John did it. He succeeded. That's it. And then he got tossed in prison. This is what success looks like. 
Serving God faithfully, committing yourself to His Word, committing yourself to making much of Jesus. And in the end, if it means that you die alone in prison, you have to just know that was success. You, you make disciples in your family. You tell the Gospel to your people. You commit yourself to hating your own sin. To obeying the Word of God. To, to, to staying faithful to Jesus Christ. And maybe Jesus will call us to suffer along the way. We, we do what John did. We let, we let God be in charge of how much we suffer. What's God going to bring into our life? We don't know. But we do know that success means staying true to His Gospel. Staying true to His Word for His glory by His grace. That's success. Let's pray together. We thank You for Your Word, God. You are good. You are good to give us the good news we need. We thank You that You didn't soft-pedal this. You didn't soft-pedal this. You didn't make it... You didn't water it down so that You wouldn't offend us. You, you told us what we needed to hear. and You have invited us. You have brought us into the kingdom of God. Through Your dear Son, You have transferred us from from the dominion of darkness into the dominion of light. By Your grace now, we, we we can see history correctly. We can see this is what it's about. This is what it's about. It's not about all that other stuff. We can think wisely about all that other stuff, but we can know that the, that the real story is usually the one that's not on the news. The real story is what you are doing through your word, through your spirit, through the gospel of your son. Help us to see that correctly. We thank you that we can because of your grace. We thank you that we can, because of your grace, see our sin correctly. We can hate it. We can turn away from it. We can trust in Jesus for for mercy and for strength to fight against it. We thank You that we can see salvation correctly. Give us opportunities to, to, to tell people the good news. The fullness, the richness of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that You would help us to see success correctly. Help us just to be faithful to You. Come what may, Help us to know that all of our ways are known by You. Nothing comes beyond Your plan. Nothing comes beyond Your hand. You, are, you, you know all of our ways. You will walk beside us. And if, we, and if we serve You faithfully, and we suffer for it, that is success. And if we serve You faithfully, and, and we don't suffer as much as other people, it's still success. Help us to trust you. Help us to live for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.